The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information on our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Good morning and uh, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Um, I wanted to take a quick moment here uh, before we actually jump into our text to let you know where we're going. Uh, 2020 is (laughs) here, almost basically here. Um, If you can believe it, it was 20 years ago that we were running around thinking the world was going to end because of Y2K. It was 20 years ago. This is wild. But here we are. We're starting a new year. I am excited for this year. And one of the reasons that I am looking forward to this year so much um, is because 2020, we are going to begin the book of Romans. And uh, Romans is a, that it is quite a task. I'll say it like this. It is a truly incredible book. It is a foundational book. It is a deep, rich theological book, yet also incredibly practical for us. And we start into this book. Our goal is to walk through it slowly um, and unpack what God has in his word for us through this, through this book. Um, I truly believe that God has us here going through this book for a reason, that he has something for us, that he has work to do in us through his word. As elders, that's what we are praying that God would do in this book. Um, I'd also like to give you a heads up, though, let the cat out of the bag of, on something that we are also going to be doing along with Romans. Um, we are bringing back seminars. Now, if you have um, ever been to a seminar here at Stone Oak, uh, what they are is it gives us the opportunity outside of this time to work through and to tackle things that we may not get to work through or deal with here. And, and so whether it be before or after a service or at some other time, what we do is we come together and we look at a subject. So we've looked at uh, salvation, justification. We've looked at, we did one on Calvinism and Arminianism. We also did one on hermeneutics, just how to study our Bible what does it look like for you to pick this up? And we've also done one on um, spiritual gifts. Um, we've done quite a few. But we, looking to 2020, we are going to be offering several seminars as a church. Um, and what we are going to do is we're going to let these seminars flow directly from our time in Romans. We know that um, as we get into Romans, it's going to be a book that is probably going to prompt some questions for us. And so our seminars, here's what we're going to do. They're going to be more Q&A. They're going to be a time for you to be able to bring your questions and we as a church body get to come around them together. So it's going to be kind of a Q&A uh, seminars that we're going to be offering many times throughout the upcoming year. One of them is going to be pretty soon after our year begins. You're going to be hearing more information about these. I hope that you're going to be able to be a part of them. But this is where we're headed. Our hope is that this year, this upcoming year, that we're going to be able to dig into Romans, let God's Word speak and move, and and also that it would be a profoundly practical year for us as we apply the theology here in Romans. So that's our hope. That's our goal. That's where we're going. I'm really excited. I hope you are too. I'm also, though, 
really looking forward to our text this morning. And um, I'd like, before we turn our attention to this text, I just want to ask if you would join me in prayer. Church, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. For your word who became flesh, your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, thank you for your word. And, Lord, for your written word. For your word that we hold, that we can know you. Your word is power. Your word is life. And your word in both senses is why we are here this morning. To see your word, your son, Jesus, the word who put on flesh, to see Christ through your word, your written word, your scripture. Thank you for your word. Would you give us the eyes to see this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, church, if you have your Bibles, would you grab them and open with me to 1 John 4? And uh, while you're getting there, does anyone here know multiple languages? Weird question. Just a few of us. Does it, has anyone here ever studied another language? And I'm talking more than just the mandatory tip your hat, hola kind of thing. Like, have you studied it? For anyone here who knows another language or has at least studied it, you know that there are many times when you are looking at and when you're dealing with language that it is really difficult to translate from one language to another. There are many times you just can't do it one for one. It's just not apples to apples. It just does not work. There are many times in... Um, in translating something from one language to another, that it is just complex, it is difficult, it is challenging, it just makes it tough. Well, this morning, we are looking at love. Love is one of those times when translating from one language to another becomes really tough. Now, I'd like for us to think about this in a, in a bit of a unique way. Um, in Koine Greek, Koine Greek is what your New Testament was written in. So you have an English translation of a Koine Greek text. Well, in Koine Greek, love is a lot like, like this, okay? Follow with me. I hope this makes sense. So you have a blade, scissors, uh, tweezers. Screwdriver. You probably can't see this. That's a toothpick. It's not used yet. It's a toothpick. In Koine Greek, love is a lot like that. A lot like that. If you need to cut something with a blade, you would grab the blade. If you need to uh, get a splinter out of your finger, you'd grab one of these uh, tweezers. Um, if you need to cut something with scissors, there's scissors. If you need to screw something in, there's a screwdriver. And if you have popcorn in your teeth, there is a, a toothpick. Koine Greek is a lot like this. English, though, is not like this. English is a lot like this. If you can't see this, this is a Swiss Army knife. So... In a Swiss Army knife, you have a blade, 
you have a, a screwdriver, little one. You have, I'm going to try not to cut myself on, on stage. That would really eliminate the, all right. You have scissors. Um, you have ah, tweezers there. And you even have, I don't understand this. I mean, toothpicks to me are, are kind of uh, disposable commodities, but not here. You keep this one forever. Um, even a toothpick. English is a lot like this. Um, this one tool has it, it has it all. Um, in Greek, you could say, hey, pass me the knife, and I would know what you mean. I would know that you wanted this. You can say, can you pass me the screwdriver? And I would know what you meant. I would pass you this. See, in English, though, you could need a screwdriver, and I could say, can you pass me your knife? And you'd give me this. Does that make sense? See, Koine Greek is a lot like the tools, whereas English is, is a little bit more like a, a Swiss army knife. In Greek, in other words, there are different words for different loves. There are different words for different types of love. There are at least eight, eight different types of, of love. Um, you have eros, philia, storge, ludus, mania, pragma, felucia, and agape. You don't know if I'm saying any of those right, most of you, so that's, I, I can get away with butchering them. Uh, even in our Bibles, by the way, you, we see four of them, four different types of love. We see, we see eros, which is that romantic love. It's where we get the word erotic from. It's eros, that love. We see philia, which is this affectionate, brotherly love. That's why Philadelphia has its name, the city of brotherly love, right? Philia, that's brotherly love. We also see storge, which is that family love, familial love. It's the love that a mother has for a child, a father, a love for, for brothers. And then lastly, in our Bible, we see agape. And agape is this unconditional, this deep, this selfless kind of love. It's kind of the love that all the other loves strive for. That makes sense. You have this agape, which gives and expects nothing in return. You have this love that is love and action. It's committed. It's chosen. In English, let me just bring this out even more. So in English, I can love my wife, love my brother, love my coworker. God loves me, and I love tacos. Same word. In Greek, I eros, my wife, I storge, my brother, I phileia, my coworker, and God agapes me, if that makes sense. Here in Advent, we have looked at hope, we've looked at peace, we've looked at joy, now we come to love, and because we can honestly many times approach the word love a lot like this. I think it's really important for us to, before we get into this, to define what I'm talking about. Define what I'm talking about when I say love, and honestly, not even when I say love, define what I'm talking about when Scripture uses love. When our text today uses love, this morning we are talking about agape love. 
We are talking about the love that doesn't have condition, that doesn't come and go, that's not based on a feeling. We're talking about this deep love that never fails. We're talking about the highest aim of love. That's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about agape love. When you see the word love in what we're about to read, you are looking at the Swiss Army Knife version translation of agape. Okay, So when you see it, you are looking at agape. With that in mind, I want to give you kind of a definition to help us as we wrestle with agape. Um, Agape is a strong non-sexual affection and regard for a person and for their good as understood by God's moral character, especially characterized, listen to this, by a willing forfeiture of rights or privileges in another person's behalf. There's a lot of different definitions that you could read with agape, but I promise you one thing that every single one of those definitions will share in common at the heart of what agape, perfect love, is, is that it is selfless and sacrificial. Agape love is selfless and sacrificial. As the definition says, a willing forfeiture of rights or privileges in another person's behalf for the good of the one whom we love. That is agape. It gives without requiring something in return. It loves not based on what is received. It is selfless and deep and lasting. It does not come and go with feelings because it's not based on feelings. It's agape. Having said that, let me start our time this morning by saying this. God loves you. God agapes you. So I'm not talking about the Swiss Army knife version or some vague love. I'm talking about agape. This is the way Scripture, this is the word Scripture chooses to use when Scripture talks about God's love for you. It means that God has a strong affection and regard for you and for your good that is characterized by a willingness to step in and sacrifice himself on your behalf. His love for you is perfect. It is selfless. It is sacrificial. It is not failing. It is forever. It is not transactional. He gives without repayment. He it is love not based on what it gets or receives. It is deep, it is lasting, stable, true. This is the love of God for you. This is his love. His love for you. God loves you. As we come to our text this morning, we need to start with this foundation. Um, when we talk about love demonstrated, agape love demonstrated, um, Every time we read the word love in the text that I'm about to read for us, it is agape every single time. And so what I'd like for us to do is, I'd, with that in mind, I'd just like to read our text. And as I do, just like for us to just take it in. We'll come back, we'll walk through it, but just take this in. Beloved, starting in verse 7, let us... Love one another. For love is from God. 
And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Just take that in. This morning, church, I'd like for us to look at two things. First, God's love, and second, our love. And I want us to begin with God's love. And, and together, we're going to kind of pick this apart and look at three, at three things together. The first one is this, is when we think about God's love, where does agape love The agape love of God, where does it come from? Let's notice the origin of God's love. This text is so clear. It says, for love, that's agape, for agape love is from God. It originates, it starts with, it begins with God. It is original to him. Our text goes on to say, because God is love. Love is not something that God does. It is. It starts with him, it originates with him because it is him. Agape love is central to who our God is. And our text is very clear. You cannot understand God apart from agape. It is foundational because our God is agape. Before we existed, before creation existed, love was there. Because our God, Father, Son, Spirit, love was there. God is agape. Perfect, pure love. This love comes from Him, originates with Him because it is Him. A strong affection or regard for His creation. Take this in, a willingness to step in and sacrifice Himself for the good of His creation. Perfect, selfless, sacrificial, never failing, faithful when we are faithless, giving without needing to receive anything. A love not based on what is received or feelings that come and go, but that is constant, that is stable. That is the love of our God. Let me state it differently. That is our God. This is who He is. Any time that you see this kind of love, That came from him and him alone. Our text says, you've never seen God, meaning you haven't seen the full glory of our heavenly father. We haven't seen him unveiled in all his glory, but our text is very clear that when we see agape, when we see love, we have seen God because our God is love. This is why John says in verse 12, no one has seen God if we love one another. God abides in us. His love, his agape is perfected in us. Verse 8 says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So although we have not seen the full glory 
of the Father, not yet. We, when we see this love, when we know this love, we see and we know Him because He is love. Love comes from our God because our God is love. Second thing I want us to notice, not only the origin, but let's consider now the object. So our perfect and righteous God has chosen to direct His love. Verse 9 says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, it didn't start with you, didn't start because of you, not that we have loved God, but that he agape us. I really think that we can hear the words, God loves you, so many times that it can become kind of mundane. It can start to lose the significance. I want to push against that this morning. You are the object of God's love. You, you are the object of God's love. And when I say you, I want you to, there are two things I want us to think about. When I say you are the object of God's love, I'm talking about the real you. Your God created you and knows you fully. There are no dark corners and there is nothing hidden from him. And he knows you fully and completely and loves you. I'm not talking about the masked version of you, the you that you project He did not die for the best version of you or the you on your best day. But you, the real you, one of the most overwhelming things about the gospel is to simultaneously be fully known and fully loved. That just does not get old. That's agape. That is God's grace, his love. So when I I say you are the object of God's love. I'm talking about you, the real version of you. I'm also talking about the real us. The real us. Um, It says, but that he loved us. John speaks in this collective plural, us. In other words, the object of his love is not only you on this super personal, me and Jesus kind of playing field. Um, The object of his love is his bride, the people of God, the church. We are the object of God's love. Now, yes, that means you on a personal level, but we cannot separate this from the family of God. Scripture does not. The collective. I'll say it like this. He did not just die for persons. He died for a people. This is the language Scripture uses, to shed his blood, to show his love to a people. In Christ, we are part of the family of God. I want you to just do something with me for a moment. Um, This is going to be weird. Just go with me. I'm going to make you do this a couple times this morning. Look around. Look around the room. Make that awkward eye contact with someone and then look away real quick. Um, Everyone you just looked at was the object of God's love. The object of we are the object of his love. And and follow me here. Just like it's true on a personal level that he knows you fully and yet loves you fully, 
the same is true for us. That Jesus did not die for his bride on her best day. Jesus did not die for us on um, kind of the best version of us, the version that we put out there. No, he, he knows us fully, loves us fully, fully known, fully loved. Church, we are both fully known and fully loved. That is his grace. So we've looked at the origin. We've looked at the object, and and now I want you with me to notice the demonstration of God's love. Notice how his love was demonstrated. Our text says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Here it is. Here's how it was demonstrated, made manifest, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. The demonstration of his love was Christ coming to this world. That God would send his only son, that the son of God would put on flesh, and the ultimate demonstration of love was this baby in a manger, that God would step in to humanity and to the struggles that we face and to the pain, that he would take it all on, that he would step into this world. See, the nativity scene just is a loud and resounding proclamation that God loves you, that God agapes you, agapes us. Agape love was demonstrated through Jesus Christ. Verse 10 says, in this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. In other words, I I hope you're not offended, but he doesn't love you because you loved him, and he doesn't love you because you're lovely. It was that he loves you knowing your sin, knowing our sin. He sent his son. The text says to be a propitiation for our sins. In other words, it was because of our sin, the weight of that, the, the, because of what was required by our sin. God sent his son as appeasement to take our sin, the weight of it, the punishment. Christ took it willingly. Again, this is agape love. This is agape love, that he would willingly step into his creation, sacrifice himself willingly for the good, giving of himself without the possibility of repayment. That is love. Agape love originates with him. We are the object of his love, and his love was demonstrated to us through Jesus Christ, through his coming into this world and church, ultimately through his death on the cross. Romans 5 says God shows us his love for us. Many of your translations will say God demonstrated his great love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is love demonstrated. God's love demonstrated. But we can't just end there because our text doesn't end there. Um, I want you to notice the imperative that this whole text is built on. It's in verse 7. It's just right when we start. Um, John tells us to do something. He says this, Beloved, let us agape one another. This text gives us this command that the love of God is not meant to terminate with us, but that we are to... The love of God has implications, affects us and drives us to something. 
So let's move from God's love to our love, and I want us to notice the same three things, okay? Let's notice first the origin of our love. I'll give you a hint here. It's not you. Our text says, verse 7, let us love one another. Why? Why is that? Because our text says, love is from God. Our love is possible only because it comes from our God. In fact, our our text goes on to say, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Flip side of that, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. This is is love. It, It does not come from us. It does not originate with us. It comes from God and God alone. It's not because you are lovely or you are loving. It's that he is lovely and he is loving. And all the love that we have, all the love that we demonstrate, all the agape that we know is because we know him, because of his love coming through us. Our love has an origin, and it didn't start with you. Our love, agape love, is from our God. And let's move now into the second thing, the object of our love. Um, Please don't take what I'm about to say the wrong way, um, but the object of our love is others. And some of you might be thinking, well, wait, wait, shouldn't it start with God? Shouldn't, you know, we first and foremost love God? Yes, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Yes, yes and amen. However, I want us to see what our text is arguing here. I want us to follow the argument in John's words. In this text, it's because we are the object of his love, God is calling us to see others as the object of our love. To see each other as the object. Beloved, let us love one another for God is love. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Okay, I'm going to make you do something again. Look around. Make the awkward eye contact. It's coming. These are the one another's. These are the one another's that Scripture calls you to love. And again, it's not because they are always loving. It's not because they are always lovely. It's because God loves you. You were called to love them with the same love, that same self-sacrificing love. Beloved, if God loved you, you also ought to love one another. In loving each other, we are truly able to follow Christ. We are truly able to relate with Christ. God loves the ones who could not reciprocate. In fact, when God first started loving you, did you know you were his enemy? Therefore, when you, church, love the unlovely, love the unloving, even when you love your enemy, you are truly sharing in Christ's life and in Christ's example. You are truly representing Christ in those those moments. That Christmas carol that we all love, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love, his gospel is peace. Our love originated with God. And the object of our love is, is one another. And lastly, I want to 
notice the demonstration of our love. You don't need to turn with me here. It was read already this morning, but I, I want us to I want to read from John 15, 12. And I just want you to listen to this. Listen, listen to this church. This is my commandment. Jesus says, This is what I'm telling you to do. This is what I am commanding you to do. Love one another. This next word is huge. As I have loved you. Christ says to us, demonstrate your love for one another in the same way that I have demonstrated my love for you. And I just want to make sure we're really resoundingly clear here um, so that we know exactly what Jesus has on his mind when he says this. He goes on to say, greater love, greater agape, by the way, greater agape has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. When, church, Jesus said this, love as I have loved, he said this with the cross in his mind. Agape love, let me just come back to this, is the willingness to step in and to sacrifice yourself on the behalf of someone else, giving itself without need for repayment. In short, agape love is demonstrated when we lay ourselves down for another, giving ourselves up for another. This is how Christ demonstrated his love for you, and this is how Christ calls us to demonstrate that love for one another. Now, in an increasingly selfish world, in a world which, I mean, let's just be honest, we can struggle to give up a single, single afternoon for the good of someone else. In a world that we struggle just to give so little, so little of our time and our energy, our money for each other, in that world, God steps in and calls us to give it all for the sake of each other. God's word calls us in the middle of our world to agape love. God calls us to consider his agape love, and then he calls us to do likewise. In a world that struggles to give time and energy and money, God calls us to give ourselves our lives for each other. And we do it with the promise that whoever loses his life for his sake will find it. So as our text says today, if we love one another, God abides in us. His love is perfected in us. So again, I'm going to make you do the awkward thing. Would you look around the room? One last, this is it. This is the last time I'm going to make you do this. It's Christmas. You've got to be gracious with me. Look around. In this room, we're a room filled with recipients of God's agape love. And as we looked around the room, I want you to ask yourself, how are you demonstrating love to them? How are you demonstrating love to them? How are you giving yourself for them? These are not hypothetical questions. Scripture calls us to love one another, not hypothetically or in theory, but in reality. I know that many of you are guests or visitors with us. Um, we still invite your love. We, we do. But if you are a member of Stone Oak, if this is your church family, 
as you looked around, those are the recipients of that God has called you to demonstrate your love. Those are them. How are you demonstrating agape love to one another? God's agape love was demonstrated to us through his son coming into the world so we might live through him. This was God's love in action. And now agape love is to be demonstrated in us by giving ourselves for the good of one another. So I want to leave us with a really practical question this morning. This Christmas, how can you demonstrate agape love to one another? Love that is sacrificial, love that is action and selfless, how can you demonstrate agape love to one another? Let's pray. God, we linger, we leave off with this question because we need help. We need your help. We need your spirit to accomplish it. God, we thank you for your love, your great and unfailing love. You are faithful and kind. You are perfect in love. You demonstrate your great love for us and that while we were yet sinners, you sent your son. You gave yourself on our behalf. Thank you for your love, for demonstrated love. Now, Lord, we pray that we are able to walk in that love that we are able to see, that we are able to feel your great love for us, and that we are then able to love each other in that same way. God, we need you. We cannot love like you apart from you. Would you help us to love each other with your agape love? The love that gives without expectation. God, would you help us to be obedient to your word? And in this, Lord, would you receive all the glory? Because this love did not come from us. It came from you. This love did not come from us, so don't let the glory come to us. Instead, Lord, this love comes from you, so let all the glory and all the honor come to you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.